Welcome to Steam Powered Scoundrels, a Malifaux podcast. Episode 21, Christmas in March. Nope. No. 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 It, it could be worse. It could be tentacular torsion. Ah. And welcome back to Steam Powered Scoundrels. There it is. Always love that cold opening. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Doug, coming to you with a lovely cold or whatever disease. We'll just call it the coronavirus, because maybe that'll garner me sympathy. And with me today are two gentlemen that have uh, shown up here multiple times. Roman Heckenberger. Thankfully not in the same room with you. Love you, though I do. <laughs> and Eli Greason. Hello. It's Eli. Also not the same room. Hooray, we're going to get into a fight. No, no, we're not. Yay. I, I, I like since we did have actually have that argument on that minisode, uh, I, you were officially now my like rival. Sweet, never had an arch nemesis before. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, I am high on drugs, everyone. So I apologize for that now, but uh, we're just gonna go ahead and plow on ahead because we're gonna be talking about us uh, some Marata <coughs> and some gaining rounds and maybe even the FAQ because goodness, this is Christmas in March. We decided to drop all this stuff onto us today, the 4th, and we're just going to disseminate it and give you our opinions and think about cool things and talk about cool stuff. And uh, in fact, we're going, even going to try to be slightly less negative than we normally are, because as much as I love being negative, I feel like there's been enough complaining in places, like a weird place and forums and whatnot. So you know what? Kind of got to kind of fall back on the thing I did last year. We're like, let's just, let's just be positive about this, right guys? Yeah. I yeah. actually considered for a second there doing like, hey, you got 10 minutes to complain. I mean, 10 seconds to complain, and that's it. But then I realized, like, I complain so much off the cuff, I would never be able to hold myself to that. So, uh, actually, before we get into that, I have a couple thank yous. Because guess what? We've got the Patreon, and people are actually donating to us because they believe in us. They think we can do great things with this money, and so they're giving us their money. And so I've got to thank these people personally. First up, Craig Shipman, thank you very much for the donation. Ambrose Ingram, I like to thank you as well. Edward Santiago, I like the name. Eli Greason, you're listening to me right now as we're recording this. Hi, Eli. What a loser. <laughs> and last but not least, the greatest of them all, at least currently, Nick Westbrook. Nick Westbrook is an amazing man. I cannot believe all the incredible things this guy has done. Once I saw that he had donated to us, I was like, oh my god. Nick Westbrook. The Nick Westbrook gave us $20 a month. That is insane. You know you know what's insane about this man? He's done so many great and wonderful things. Not just donating money to us. In fact, one time I heard that he saved 13 kittens from a burning 7-Eleven. What an amazing man. Have you guys heard about this Nick Westbrook? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I once heard that uh, <laughs> after saving those kittens, he taught them all to juggle. Oh my god. So that they can provide for themselves in the circus. I heard he found the man who started the fire and punched him in the face so hard they based Tony off of him. Oh my god. That's, that makes the most perfect sense. Oh, I love this man even more. Alright, anyways. Let's get on into this errata. Uh, first up, you know what? Let's just go in alphabetical order because that's how this PDF is listed. Hooray. I always start with the best, of course, Arcanists. Arcanists get some changes that uh, were pretty pretty obvious. Only three changes. Uh, we'll go through model changes first, and then the 
upgrade changes as well. So, uh, first up, Seam Arachnid Swarm, uh, to no one's surprise, gets a bit of a nerf. Their uh, Metal Claws attack goes from a 6 and Mask down to a 5. So they're no longer immediately getting that Onslaught trigger, as well as uh, only being a stat 5 for an 8 Soulstone model, which is not all very high, but I'm pretty sure they're banking off the idea of you usually being in base-to-base -base contact with your target, and thus reducing their defense by minus 1. So overall, it's it's an alright change, at least in my opinion. It's not the, the change I wanted, but admittedly my wanted change was really complicated compared to this. I still see some use out of them, and definitely not, I'm not going to feel bad about bringing them. Uh, Roman, you're you're an Arcanist. What do you think? I think this was probably the easiest one to see coming out of this whole uh, document. They were causing some issues. I think this exactly fix it. Not as interestingly as, as your option, as you said, uh, but I think this fixes it. You're still going to see them. They're still good. Uh, and if you guys really want to be able to have your guaranteed onslaught, you can put an upgrade on them that allows them to use soul stones. Oh, no. Uh, I think they'll they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll, they'll be fine. Eli, you ever play against these things? I haven't, actually. Well, now, now you might and might never. I don't know. I... <laughs> Uh, that's a joke, but I still see them getting used, but definitely not as ubiquitous as before, which is the idea of this whole thing. So good change on Weird's part. Next up is a Soulstone Miner, the other really, really obvious change. This guy's got a lot going for him as far as changes. That's a lot of a lot of stuff. Anyways, uh, he used to be Armor 2, now he's down to Armor 1. Uh, his move was reduced to a five, from a 5 to a 4, and his Earth Beneath Your Feet uh, bonus action, which unburies him, now says, uh, until the start of this model's next, act next activation, it's ignored for friendly schemes and strategies. So no longer being able to cheese them for things like uh, claim jump or outflank or take prisoner. Uh, they won't count for being able to score until they activate again. Um, this one I'm a little less okay with in the Steam Arachnids were mostly because I think really you just need that change to Earth Beneath Your Feet more than I anything. The, the, the armor and move reduction just kind of... That, that wasn't their issue. They weren't too terribly survivable. They were decently survivable for a six soul stone model. The move, like this is giving you less reasons to not bury them constantly is, is, mm -hmm. is my complaint. But I'm still going to find use for them. Just, you know, considering less than before. And honestly, I was not bringing them just because they were too cheesy. But now I won't feel bad about doing that. So still usable. Got rid of the things that really made them uh, just just abusive, and they're still generating a bunch of soul stones. So, can't complain about that too much. Eli, any thoughts? From my experience with them, I had a hard time doing any damage to them because they were buried so often. So, having them damageable while they're up doesn't seem like a bad thing to me. But okay, I don't fair. play Arcanist, so I don't know that perspective of it. I like the thing is like if you're burying them or buried, they're not doing anything to really influence the board outside of the schemes where you the positional schemes. Because if you bury them, they can't drop a marker, and if you unbury them, they can't drop a marker. But and there's yeah. there's fewer as we'll get to. There's fewer positional only schemes yes. uh, in gaining grounds this time. Which between that and Earth between beneath your feet, I think that took care of the core problem with these guys the armor one and the move reduction the, the armor one i can live with that's not a big deal the move reduction is what i'm surprised to see just because you're exactly right it kind of shoehorns them into you will bury them because that's the only way they're getting anywhere anywhere substantial that said 
could be worse. Yeah. With, with as much bad press as they were getting, this is this is still not as bad as it could be. You'll still see them. I think it's fine. Time will tell if it was really too much or if they still work fine. Might just shift gears and how you use them a bit. Yeah, the reason I brought them is not or wanted to bring them is not going to change. I'm I'm still seeing them as definitely usable. And I'm like the quintessential Arcanist fanboy. So if I think that it's okay, then it's probably okay. Uh, last but not least for Arcanist, the Order Initiates got a cost reduction down to six. Uh, that's that's pretty good. Kind of puts them in a different cost bracket than some of the other heavy hitter Chimera models. So I think everyone's probably okay with it. I think that was the general idea of how to fix them in the first place from uh, from the Arcanists. But not a lot of there to talk about because it's just a cost, cost decrease. I just hope to see them more. Yeah, they look, they're so cool. Yeah, I think you'll see them more with this. I'm kind of surprised since they're changing the card anyway that they didn't tweak uh, one of their triggers for its Chimeric Strike, I think. Yeah. That ups their damage by one for every two upgrades upgrades on them. And they start with one upgrade on them. But that just, it, it feels a little awkward to me. I was surprised not to see that tweaked a little bit. But I think down to six, you'll see them more often than you were. Because they, they operate independently from Marcus at that point. Uh, so long as you're not trying to get that trigger. Because they can cycle their own upgrades. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's move on to the Bayou. A few more changes than the Arcanists. Uh, starting off, Big Brain Bryn has a lot of changes to calculate the possibilities. I fully agree the guy was just a little bit ahead of the curve. And now I think this just uh, kind of... Well, one clears up the cost confusion. He's now uh, actually discarding the cards after he takes the action which uh, was weird's intent in the first place but uh, as far as calculate the possibilities goes it is now once per turn so you can no longer do it two times with bren and then obey him to do it more times just doing it once so now you can actually have him do other things in the game and also he can't put the jokers back into his deck so if he accidentally gets rid of the red joker it's gone so really, not not a huge change to him. Um, more of a quality of life thing. I'm really happy with this change. Thoughts, either of you two? I think this is mostly them going, oh, we uh, we didn't realize we had that backwards from what we wanted it to be. This is what we intended it to be. And perfect. I'm good with this. Yeah, I think it's. I think it works. Okay, next up is um, sort of a combination Bayou Neverborn change, or mostly just because Zoraida. It's it's the first yeah. mate. First mate. Gains the beast characteristic. Has the carry the loot ability removed. These are as two nerfs for him. This one and anchor attack lost the built-in crit strike. Um, Yet another model that was uh, probably a little too good at killing. And now he's less good at killing, which is definitely the intent. He's a great schemer on Can do a decent amount of hitting, but he's not quite as much of a dual threat as before. What, What did carry the loot do? After an enemy marker... Enemy scheme marker with an aura six is removed. He can draw a card. Okay. Oh well. Can he? Can he? Like he has abilities to remove them, right? Yeah. Okay. So being able to like move a lot and being able to get cards pretty readily, <laughs> just you know, tone him back a little bit. I heard rumblings about the guy, but not a whole ton of stuff. So I think this is a relatively soft nerf for him. Ultimately, uh, removing the ram uh, from his anchor is the bigger portion here because that was essentially unless you were stunning him it was building in his crit strike so he was two four six or three four six excuse me uh and then could go up above that if he actually found the ram to cheat or stone in at that point there was no reason to bring matcha 
So yeah. now you'll have a reason to bring Mancha, I think is the big trick with this. Yeah. And Mancha's a great model, so great. Glad for that. All right. Alongside the first mate is his master, Zoraida. Or, yeah, he's a swamp fan. Okay. His, yeah. his shared master in Zoraida. Zoraida, um, Eyes of the Night, her ability that lets her do things through her own models, now requires line of sight. That's what the change is. Which is nice. I mean, it's not too terribly hard to get line of sight on things, but now you can't just hide behind a brick wall and do all the things through friendly models. Now you gotta see stuff. Uh, her move was reduced from 5 to 4, possibly a, a bigger nerf than that, because having her be slow definitely gives you this sort of uh, backline obeying playstyle that she was able to do, but uh, also be able to like move decently as well. And her cost increased by one point. I mean, one stone. Is it still considered stones? This realize. Yes. Okay. I, because I've been referring to models as cost of X number of stones, and I realized I didn't know if that was just a, a second edition thing or if it's been third. Anyways, moving on. Cost increase of one. So if you're bringing her into outside of her, you know, crew, she's going to cost a little more, which is good because the whole Dreamer Zoraida dual master thing was a bit much. Was a bit much. Okay, uh, Voodoo Effigy, sorry, that's her ability to summon her totem, now occurs at the end of her activation instead of the beginning. So now she can't summon a, an effigy, put immediately put out that upgrade, then be able to do things through that upgrade. Correct, Eli? Uh, yeah. Okay, do you, do you, well, play, I, do you play Zoretta a whole ton? I've, I have a couple of times. Okay, what, what are your thoughts on these changes? For the most part, I would agree with them. I don't like the change to Voodoo Effigy because, as you said, it kind of it decreases her ability to play with her own Voodoo doll. Eyes in the Night, like that, definitely makes a lot of sense. The movement reduction, you know, keeping her from like running up there and doing things, like it all it all makes sense. I just it doesn't it doesn't destroy her ability to play, but it definitely makes it inconvenient for the Voodoo Effigy. Yeah, I mean, overall, like. After the quick fix to Season 0 with her, she kind of dropped off the radar as far as, like, the broken master that everyone was afraid of. Honestly, I, you could get rid of the Voodoo Effigy changed for me, and I still think this would really be perfectly fine. I'm actually surprised to see her on here at all. I thought she was, you know, just just right. Except for maybe the, the cost change because of how well she paired with Dreamer and probably the rest of the Neverborn. She's a decent solo master. Uh, is the thing. So, uh, Roman, want to chime in? Any thoughts? I agree. I'm, I'm not quite sure why Voodoo Effigy's here. The one thing I can think of is people were crying foul on her ability to drop a card to summon him and then use her bonus action to draw back up, but I didn't really see that as broken. I think Eyes in the Night is a, a good health change just going forward. Making that an aura is, is good. It forces her to play the game. The move I could take or leave, it she might have an extra walk at some point during the game than usual. Cost increase is nice. Spoiler alert, this isn't also reflected on Dreamer, and when I've seen the two of them together, it's been uh, Dreamer being brought as the second master because he's so much cheaper. Oh. So I'm a little surprised to not see that on both ends of that math equation, but I'm overall with you. I, I think their change to the schemes and strats in Gaining Ground Zero really took the the biggest issue with her out of there, and I'm kind of surprised to see her on here at all. I think the reason that she got the cost increase instead of Dreamer is because she's more universally a good second master, 
Dreamer, yeah, Dreamer's a summoner, so those are always a good second master, but she, I think she has better play as a second master because of her Threads of Fate ability. And, yeah, you know, I, all the obeys. I can see that. And having a summonable totem instead of one you have to hire. Okay, okay goodness. Start. Next up is the Bayou Smuggler, which has just a whole lot of changes. Oh, goodness. Okay, I'm going to read these off and then quickly, uh, uh, you know, reference the card because I forgot this model existed, except for the fact that that gator is full of drugs, which is quite possibly my my, my next, my favorite joke from Nate ever. But uh, Bio Smuggler, the Changing Plans ability has been replaced with Drag Behind. The Attuned ability has been replaced with Full Peck. The Forge ability has been replaced with the Appraise action. Life of Crime has been replaced with Carry the Loot, which is now once per activation. So, drag behind. For this model moves, it may choose a marker within two inches of it. After resolving this move, place the chosen marker in a base contact with this model. So it can move markers. Cool. Full pack. Attune was the ability to let it use soul stones, which is just not that useful on a six soul stone model like that. So instead, we get full pack. The start of this model's activation to gain shielded plus one for each marker within two inches of it. So giving it a nice little bit of shielded. Uh, some defensive trickery is a lot more useful because it doesn't cost stones to keep this thing alive now. The appraise action, which I believe is also on the prospector, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So, remove a target scheme, scrap a corpse marker, flip a card, gains the ability of either draw a card, discard a card, draw a card, or drop a friendly scheme marker, friendly or enemy scheme marker, anywhere within range, and then drawing a card. So, hooray, enemy scheme markers. For all those lovely abilities. Um, last but not least, carry the loot, which was a bandit thing. No, it's a. Uh, that's, that's the thing the first mate lost. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So scheme marker within six inches of remove this model may draw a card. So a whole bunch of like a lot more useful scheming abilities. There's a lot of trickery going on here. I can see this thing actually being taken now, as opposed to never ever being taken. Do you guys, either of you guys, ever played against one? You know, bef- obviously before this. I saw one during the, the beta test. Okay. Well, um, from the quick reactions we've seen on A Weird Place and elsewhere, people are pretty excited for this. So, real happy yeah, that they're getting... It wasn't used very often. No, just no it wasn't. They weren't, they weren't great. These are all good changes, I think. Yeah. I think before they were a, an amalgam of interesting abilities that didn't necessarily form a good niche for a model. And now, I hopefully with these changes, that has changed. Okay, next up, um, Lenny Jones is found it, I think, trigger, now draws the flipped card instead of the discarded card. I'm not, I guess I gotta look this one up too. I never heard anything about Lenny being like too, or too good or too bad. Is this, is this a, is this a buff or is this a nerf? Um, shows you how prepared we are. We've had entire minutes and in some cases hours to look at this. Uh, let's see. Found it. Okay, found it. I think is on his random bout of brilliance tactical action. It's his tome trigger. Flip the top card of this model's fate deck and resolve one of the following effects based on the suit of the flip card, which any variable found based it, any variable flips based on this value of this flip card. Oh, okay. So this isn't even like a nerf or anything. It's yeah, because because no, the clarification. The, yeah, the card doesn't count as discarded until the action ends. So uh, um, that's just a clarification. Never mind. Moving on. Summer T Jones. The Make Me Proud Boys action and is now restricted to friendly big hat minions only. For those of you that didn't know this lovely exploit, he could technically use it on... Uh, test subjects. Test subject, yes. Test subjects. 
who, because of an ability of theirs, wouldn't actually die when they blew up, so you could just keep blowing them up constantly. Which was not nice. But now he can't do that. So that's not like... That's not really a nerf, it's just like a, a, a clarification due to a loophole. Yeah, it, it's yeah. closing a loophole, which really shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I don't see... Didn't really see a whole ton of use of it outside of the big hats, except in this one specific case. No one was really bringing a bunch of out-of-keyword models to for just for Summer to blow up. Um, last but not least, Ma Tucket, her creative custom trigger, which was the one that pulsed out a whole bunch of focus, can only happen once per activation. Hooray. This is great. Probably, probably a good thing. Almost definitely a good thing, considering she not could pump out like... Not a great thing for her great thing for everybody else well yeah but like is she i think she's still playable her she's getting this slight nerf and then there's bren and then unless you want to count like the upgrade nerf as well it's not that big of a change to her she's still useful it's just now she's not getting upwards of 20 focus out in one activation yeah she's also affected by the soulstone minor nerf oh yeah 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 forgot about that Okay, so Ma Tucket receiving a lot of a lot of nerfs. Outside of the Soulstone Miner, those don't seem like huge things, because the Creative Custom thing was only like first activation, sort of a cheese spam kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, now the Ma players just have to figure out what her other two actions are, uh, turn one. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving along, moving along. Guild. Guild actually saw some nerfs. Um, actually kind of surprised by this. First up, Agent 46's Inhuman Physiology ability changed to a bonus action that lasts until the end phase. So now he has to choose between being able to prevent his attacks from being cheated against or being able to mimic things. So I don't think this obviously, I I don't want to say obviously, I don't think this kills him. Certainly helps with the whole... Like, this fixes the design issue of, like, having to design the rest of the faction with him in mind, which is yeah. the, the best thing. And he's still pretty useful, I yeah. think. The, the fact that if he wants to mimic, suddenly you can cheat against whatever he mimicked at probably a higher stat than whatever the, the action actually is. And if he doesn't want to mimic, he's probably going early to get Inhuman Physiology up so that it's there all turn. Yeah, and then his friendlies can obey him into still attacking with that. Cool, cool, cool. Dispatcher got just a lot of changes. This is, I'm going to assume, the the fix for Dashel, Or at least what they're intending on making Dashel a lot more playable. Etherbox Broadcaster ability now reads, When taking non-interact actions, friendly guard models may treat this model as a friendly or enemy scheme marker. This model would be removed this way, and it may instead draw a card. Holy crap. <laughs> so, Dashiell is now just summoning off of this thing at treating it like a scheme marker. An enemy scheme marker, obviously. And then getting a card for it is is nuts. Admittedly, like he had a bit of a hard time summoning before, but now he's going to have a relatively easy time summoning and getting a card draw off of it. So now this guy becomes like... Target number one, if you're going up against a Dashiell crew, I think. Which... Yeah, look, looks like Dashiell's requisition forms finally got filled out correctly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to, to combat that, because he's still pretty squishy, he gains Serene Countenance. So, it used to be manipulative, now Serene Countenance, which is just better manipulative. Hooray. Stay at your post ability. 
It says, uh, it's been changed, so the owner of the model may choose for the model not to move, and it isn't restricted to any activation slash effects stage you're supposed to. Is that basically like laugh off button on Aura, if I recall correctly? Yeah, it, it's an Aura of laugh off, essentially. Okay, cool. So it's a choice now. I think it was probably set to, like, never allow them to move. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Interestingly, good, good. it doesn't affect him because he's an enforcer. Ah. Clever. So that's how you do it. Anyways, um, he also gains the protected guard ability, so all these models that are being summoned off of him are now able to, like, shots for him. So extra survivability. Cool. Um, His internal affairs trigger... No longer draws a card, as you don't need two different kinds of card draw off of this module grading for free. And his cost increased by one, which doesn't really matter almost at all. Unless you're bringing Dashiell in as an out-of-keyword hire. So I don't know if that's a thing. It might be a thing. Is it an option now? No. I have no idea what Guild does. Do you know what Guild does, Victoria? Victoria's very confused. I mean, so, if you're bringing in Dashiell as a secondary master for summoning, you bring your dispatcher along so you can still summon off of him. Okay, fair. Yeah, so it's this kind of thing. Okay, so hopefully we'll be seeing more Dashiell because I really like the keyword and how he works and all that other stuff. Uh, maybe someday I'll be able to afford a box and play him because that would be really cool. Next up, another buff, Greed. The use it on yourself ability is removed. Is that... Use it on yourself. Tactical action. Any models within range that can use soul stones must each pass a target number 14 willpower duel or discard a soul stone and gain a sin token. Okay. I guess that's it's not a good thing, but she gets other stuff. Uh, first up, she gains uh, the guitar bash action, which is pretty much, hey, now she has a melee range so she can actually hold things down. Good for that. And her unchecked avarice attacks, attack action, which is probably more of what you want to be using, is now a range 10 instead of a range 8. So just a slight, just a slight buff, I think. Any, any thoughts from either of you this? Uh, Eli, are you still here? Yeah, I'm here. Um, nothing terribly exciting. I guess we can just go through it and then ask you if you guys want to say anything. But, you know, like, the greed one is like, of course, this is this is a nice quality of life, because uh, a lot of the Crossroads 7 are, not a lot, two, three, three of the Crossroads 7 are on here. <coughs> um, for just a slight enhancement. Okay, moving on. Pale Rider. And Greed was definitely on the lower half of them before, so... Oh, yeah. Cool. Pale Rider. Pale Rider. Pale Rider got some nerfs. Uh, one, one, one grammar change, and then, hey, they're, they're four-suit and five-suit um, triggers on the Revelin Conflict action have been flipped, so that's now saying the one that does damage and burning uh, is now cost four and the one that gives out charges is cost five but those have been changed to sort of reflect that the devastation which does damage did damage and burning and slow now just does two irreducible damage and burning one and no longer slow which you know that's good that was really good of an ability and it's still decent at four but obviously costed more for costing four and now you're not like spiking to killing a bunch of things all at once which is nice the slow is also really oppressive Anyways, and it's speeding up the game because you're not flipping as many cards. Yeah, and then hatred unleashed, which let friendly models take charges even if they were engaged, uh, no longer does that. It says they can take melee attack actions or the charge action, so now they can't like run away from a conflict, but uh, they can make attacks at least even if they are engaged. So just a slight nerf to that, and um, you know. Lucius is still getting a buttload of cards from it. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Gotta love that guy, Lucius. He's he's the best fop we could ever hope for. Um, yeah, I like these changes to the Pale Rider. Thoughts of either of you two? No, I think this is good. Yeah, no, I like it. Okay, uh, Frontiersman. Hooray, Frontiersman getting a buff. People really wanted them to get a buff, and now they do. Their defensive reflexes, I would guess, trigger. That is, that is a trigger. Gets changed to Field Kit, which I would venture to guess without staring at the cards. Let's pull it up anyways. Is some kind of heal, which would go well with their... Hey, hey, look at that. After resolving one friendly model, one friendly model within three inches heals one, two, three. Awesome. So that's even better because you don't have to necessarily heal yourself. You can heal other friendly models. Yeah. And if you do heal yourself, you get to take advantage of survivalist or if you're healing another uh, frontiersman. Yes, of course. Yeah. Which is, I was hoping for something that would play well with survivalist on their card as opposed to waiting for very, very stoic nods. From other models in the keyword. <laughs> Their back of ability got dropped and is instead replaced with Deputy. It says, once per activation, after an enemy model damages a friendly frontier model within six inches, this model may discard a card to take a shooting action which receives a positive flip targeting the enemy model. That's different than backup. So backup was after an enemy model resolves projectile action that damaged a friendly model. And it didn't give it the positive, and it was not once per activation. So now, if somebody just like hits your ally, like you can shoot them instead of oh, they didn't use a gun, so I can't help you. Yeah, and you're getting the positive. So if they hit them in melee, you don't care. Yeah, you yes. ignore the uh, friendly fire. Cool. Well, that's my train of thought. Um, I guess another case of like I don't have, really need to say anything about this. This is good. No one's. It's not controversial makes the model more useful, and how much I really like base, I'm super excited these guys got a buff. Yeah, <sighs> and definitely not, agree. I'll be excited to see more of him across the table. Still not out, still not overpowered for five, five stones, because that shot of theirs isn't too terribly great, and, you know, the field kit isn't built in. So, yeah, great. Great, awesome. Good job, weird. Okay. Last but not least, Enslaved Nephilim gets Nefarious Pact, which is, is that just draw a card? Yeah, draw a card after its activation. Okay, cool. So, slightly better in Slave Nephilim. Good. Now, I would say that, like, I still think the guild need more buffs. They still seem like the weakest faction even after this these changes. But this is a good step in the right direction. And then gaining it remains to be seen whether or not gaining ground season one will give them enough advantage to really balance it. What are you doing, baby? <laughs> Okay, baby's eating mom's hand. Moving on to Neverborn. Hey, Eli, you can start talking now. Yay. Oh, hey, look, stitched together. Hooray. There. I'm so happy. Excuse me. Are you, are you crying? Um, no, you're that. crying. Shut up. <laughs> okay, stitched together. Fiendish Gamble is, is in replace of cheating. Hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's correct. It's just an odd sentence. It is... Oh, okay. You replace the card on Cheating Fate instead of when you flip the card. Ah, uh, okay. So just, just grammar then. Yeah. Okay. Grammar change. Good. Grammar's always good. Well, no. It used to be whenever you would flip a card, you could take one of the cards that was removed from the game instead. Now it's saying instead of cheating a card, you can take a card that's removed from the game. Okay. Which makes sense because it also... Gamble your life is now an attack, so you're not uh, flipping a card. You are, in fact, making a duel, 
which you will then cheat on if you're not winning. Okay. Well, well spoilers, I guess. Sorry. So now gamble your life as an attack action. Hooray. Everyone was asking for this. And now it's a thing. Cool. And now I'm going to be summoning off my willpower duel. So yes, but at least now you're affected by things like defensive abilities and concealment. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's resisted by willpower and it has a target number. The target number is increased to 13. I think it's a stat. Yep. Yeah, it's stat six. But I lost the tome for... What was the trigger for that? Is that a card draw? Yeah, draw a card, and if it wasn't killed, discard. Yes. So I got taken off. So, yeah, and I guess... And I guess so just a whole bunch of changes to Gamble Your Life. A slight wording change to Fiendish Gamble, and their defense got reduced from 6 to 5. And since they're armor 1, that I, I think that's okay. They're still summonable. Um, this will be interesting because, like, you can finally, like, resist, actually have a chance to fight back against Gamble Your Life. So I'm really happy for that. And I guess it's now, like, a, a decent risk because cause if you, you still damage them back if they fail the attack. And yeah. now that you're, like, susceptible to things like concealment and serene countenance and all that other stuff, it's it's a much more gamble on your part to use it, so... Does this make them un- unusable? Because I know, I know now it's still a willpower attack, so you're still going to get reason. use out of it, and you can still summon off of it. But is it too much of a risk to be bringing these things nearly as much as people were? So the reason they're still usable is they are still the only they're the only model that can bring cards back into the game that you've removed with lucid dreaming. Okay. If they couldn't do that, then they wouldn't be worth taking at this point. But because they can do that, and they're the only ones that can do that, they've still got their place. Okay. Oh, cool. I just realized something. Because the 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 increase to the target number on this is actually kind of a side nerf, because you're definitely not gonna do it if you can't guarantee you're at least hitting the target number. Because if you fail to hit the target number, you failed the attack, and even if you're still higher than the target, you failed, they get to, to do the damage to that you. Is, that's not true. Oh. It says, if this action fails, this model suffers the effects as though the defending model was taking this action. If the defending model's number is lower than yours, they're not damaging you. Huh. Because if if you attack something and your number's lower than their defense, you're not hitting them. So it's possible now to gamble your life and nobody takes damage. Neat. It's not much of a gamble, but... Oh, that's that's cool. I, I, and, you know, and that's even better because it's um, still... I, I'm not sure that's how that goes. You know what? If it fails, if you don't hit the target number. Let's, guys, we've got a lot of stuff to go through. (laughs) Fair, fair. We'll pick at it later. Yeah, and this is is more of like a, a, let's be honest, it's kind of a corner case with this thing. Yeah. So, you know, we'll figure it out. Weird, the community will figure it out. Let's let's move on. More or less, overall, stitched together, get brought back into like a decent balance fold and are now less auto summons. If I can make one more point. Yes, go ahead. Because I've. So if you. With, because uh, Fiendish Gamble is now on cheating, you're more likely to gamble your life twice in a turn. Because if you win the first time without taking a card back in the game, you can still do that for the second action. Ooh. Oh, that makes them a lot more usable, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I forget you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodness. That's a good balance, I think. I like this. I'm excited. I'm excited because, like, this and another change makes it less oppressive to play against Dreamer. For me, the Arcanist player, I will fully admit that I'm incredibly biased towards Arcanists. 
Okay, people, internet. Outcasts! A, a completely different faction that I hate. Yay. Okay, Pride. Pride gets a buff, gets Guitar Bash. I mean, the, the, guitar, the guitar Bash is now a melee action, which I'm pretty sure was the intent in the first place. So now he can actually engage things. Cool. The solo ability action? Oh, yeah, that's the one that forces them to cheat. It lets you cheat second, regardless. And now I think it's just a rewording change. To have both models benefit from this effect, both effects are ignored. Cool. Um, this song's all about you. Oh, no, that's better. Okay. Okay, I reread that wrong. This song's all about you. Um, the damage on it is reduced from two to one per card discarded. So you're no longer able to hit them for four damage if they don't have cards. And it's now just two, which honestly kind of... That's that's a big hit to Pride. I'm, I mean, the solo thing is so good, it still might be worth to bring him, but goodness. Like, there's really a chance I would care too much to actually discard discard cards now. The song's all about you is also giving out distracted, and that's where he has the send spiral trigger. So I feel yeah. like you're going to do that if you have the if you need distracted out, and if you have the crow or you want to stone for the crow for the the send token and healing. So overall, the slight nerf, but I, I've seen him in a decent amount of crews, so I'm I'm just more surprised by it than anything. Well, the guitar bash, I understand. Solo was just being cleaned up. I didn't think song the the song's all about you was too powerful but I, that's what weird thought so i trust him anyways mad dog bracket mad dog bracket got a cost increase by one point i will say that i don't think that's enough but that's just me <laughs> do you guys have any thoughts i'm kind of surprised that they didn't drop the injured on the burning cigar to injured one instead of two yeah yeah i mean all along i'm I'm of the opinion, I don't know if anyone else is, or I was just one championing this, that he's actually better in melee combat. <laughs> and uh, this he's doesn't... better at supporting whatever crew he's in in melee combat, that's for sure. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, he's, he very, very often has fast. So you're mostly considering him to be 10 soulstone mo. And so if he's engaged, or heck, if he can just charge, he can get that burning cigar off twice shoot him during one of those actions, push him during the other one, and then shoot him again. And at that point, they are injured four, burning two, being shot twice by this guy. Or if you want, you know, give them injured six, and then everything else can just kill the model, because what can survive after having injured six? Not much. Yeah. Leviticus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking, well, sort of speaking of Leviticus... Uh, Rusty Alice got her move reduced from 6 to 4, so congratulations Kyle Bode, you called it, or you influenced them into doing this. I don't think this was the right way to go, but it's better than nothing, so just, you know, engage her and then try to survive, <laughs> while probably everything else in the crew is just trying to kill you so she can get all of her lovely shots off. Yeah, be better than nothing, and honestly, she definitely shouldn't be 6 in the first place, um, but now she's a little bit slow. So we'll see her with Servant of Dark Power on her even more than normal. Thoughts, guys? Yeah, especially with Servant of Dark Power, I, I think the move four is good for a, a change because that does mean she can't just auto get away from you or almost auto get away from you if you engage her. But with as fairly easy as it is to hand out focused and fast via the scavengers in this crew, I'm really surprised that rapid fire stuck. That said, sure. I'm glad to see her on the list. 
Yep, and they can always change her even more if uh, she still needs help later. But uh, there's a difference, so we'll we'll get to have fun and learn how much uh, different she is coming up. Gotta stay positive. Next up, Johan. Johan was never taken because he was slow and easy to kill, and no one liked him. Now he's gotten uh, a decent better, mostly buffs, one slight, uh, not even a slight nerf, a decent nerf, but I think overall good. He's got the rush ability, which adds two inches to his charge, so now he's charging for six, which is a lot better. Really makes up for that four movement. Excuse me, the Rebel Yell ability gains the Tone Trigger on it, so now he only needs a 5, he doesn't need a 5 and a Tone, which makes it a lot more reliable, which is a cool thing to bring him for. Um, sadly, his Relic Hammer went down to a stat 5, but considering he's got, he can now, you know, rel- pretty consistently remove all conditions from a target, and now he's a lot faster at getting into a um, melee with that rush. You can... He can charge you basically now from twelve in, or uh, from eight inches away. So that's yeah. He's got a twelve-inch threat range, which is good. And if you know you're gonna like move him, just walk him twice in a turn, then you can charge because you still don't need to actually have a target for a charge. So yeah, you're just getting those extra two inches for pushing in a straight line. Yep. So now his his slight squishiness is made up for the fact that he's a much better support piece, much more reliable support piece, and he can get into fighting just a little bit easier. So, good buffs. Doesn't make him broken. Probably going to see him on the table more now. Ashes and Dust is, uh, has his incorporal replaced with Savage Winds, which I believe is more or less what Jackdaw exactly. has, where he's got, where he reduces stuff like incorporal does, except for damage from attacks. It's actually a, uh, a buff for Ashes and Dust. Is it? Yeah. It's got the Necrotic Decay trigger, which says his model may suffer up to two damage when resolving target suffers plus one damage per damage suffered. When it had Incorporeal, it would reduce that damage, so it could only do one damage, because it only could take one damage. Okay. But also, like, he's taking more damage now, and he's taking more damage overall, because Incorporal's not reducing that anymore. So there's more agency and ability on the opponent to be able to kill this thing or at least knock it down to its components so there's that side benefit of actually being able to deal more damage to itself to deal more damage through necrotic decay but it's a bigger gamble now but yeah that that was especially since sorry especially since savage winds is not reducing damage from attacks so you can just lay into it a little easier yeah was there anything else besides like ignoring can move through things and ignoring hazardous in Savage Winds. No? No? Okay. Whirlwind of Scrap got knocked oh. down. What? Yeah, it does change. Sorry. After moving, this model may move remove a scrap marker it moved through and have every model it moved through suffer one damage. Oh, cool. Actually, oh, I see what they did. They, they essentially took old Whirlwind of Scrap, made it Savage Winds, and now regular Whirlwind of Scrap just says move. Since it's already built into his regular move. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Considering it was something no one ever did, ever. Yeah, I think you might actually see that done now. And another nerf, his Deadly Claws no longer has the Necrotic Decay built into it. So now he'll actually need the proper Crow to deal damage to himself, to deal that extra damage. So, overall, I like it. Doesn't sort of solve the issue of the Dust Storm being... 
significant when it pops out, but Dashes and Dust itself are, is a lot more manageable, so it's not both just a super-duper great schemer and really, really tough-to-kill thing and really, really good at killing as well. Yeah, I, I like it. I definitely don't think it's been, like, nerfed into the ground either. You're still going to see this thing brought. Thoughts, sure. you, thoughts you too? I mean, just the thought on the incorporeal is kind of a buff and a nerf, so. Yeah, okay. I can see it being, like, powerful in very certain situations. Okay, Benny Walcom got, oh, goodness. He got, re- <laughs> he got rewritten, kind of. Uh, defense increased from five to six. The Sakurat's ability trigger something? Ability. Ability yeah. no re- longer requires discarding card. Here, I'm going to pull them up. Diseased and Nihilism, those two abilities, are replaced with Loyal to the Very End and Covered in Rats. Those abilities... Okay, you can no longer, when models activate near him, no longer give out Blight Token and can no longer just sort of shrug off conditions. However, low till the very end, once per activation, after a friendly vermin within four inches is killed, this model may discard a card to drop either a friendly or an enemy scheme marker in base contact with the kill model. Cool. Scheming. Sack of rats. I mean, covering of rats. Covering of rats. At the end of this model's activation, it gains shielded plus one for each friendly Malifaux rat within one inch. Okay, so he's considerably more survivable. Gone from defense five up to six, and now getting shielded for every rat that's within an inch of him. Which admittedly isn't going to get a ton, because it's only an inch. But still, at shielded, shielded, folks. And the low to the very end's good. Sorry, what was that? And you can have a lot of rats. A lot of rats. How many rats? How many rats well, are there? Wow. Well, 12 rats. That's that's a lot of rats. I don't think you could fit that in one inch, but... Uh, you could you could try. You could try to fit 12 rats within one inch of Benny Wall. Someone out there, do the math and figure out exactly how many rats you can fit within an inch of Benny Walcom. Please, I want to know. I want to know the answer to that. So, his infected blade, his melee attack, went down from a 6 to a 5. However, his derringer went up from a 5 to a 6. So hey, now he doesn't have to be... He can be a decent combatant outside of being engaged, which I don't think you want him in there. The Derringer also gains the Rat Bomb trigger, which says, Kill a friendly Malifaux Rat in base contact with the target. When resolving the target, suffers plus 1 damage and blast damage. Nice. So he suddenly goes up to a 3, 4, 5 with blast marker. So that's a decent amount of decent amount of damage. Hmm. Yeah. And last but not least, Loyal Rats with Tiny Hats increases its range from 3 inches to 4 inches. Nice. So I think I think people like Benny. Benny's, Benny's been improved. I don't know if this is enough to make, like, Hamelin viable compared to other Outcast Masters, but uh, this is a good improvement overall. There's a pretty interesting, like, card play with the whole loyal to the very end combined with the expendable ability on the rats because uh you know when the rats die you get to draw a card and yeah. so now he's got a thing that when they die within four inches of them you can discard a card so you're just sort of shifting your hand around and then you can place a scheme marker yeah that's really good <laughs> I was you can re-summon the rats within four inches of him because of loyal rats with tiny hats by the way, I absolutely love that ability, and I didn't notice that it existed until now. Or action. One of the best named actions in the game, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
Ever since the flaming fist of the great Carlos Vasquez went the way of second edition. <sighs> Bring it back, weird police. Okay, last last for the outcasts, Ionis. Ionis had one thing that was kind of dumb, abusable, as the sever timeline action. Just let him unbury a model and then get two pass tokens. And since, you know, burying models is kind of Terra's thing, and she summons stuff that's buried, uh, it's really easy for him to get, like, uh, a bunch of pass tokens for your crew. So, Silver Timeline got changed from a 5 and a crew to just a 5, so now if you want those pass tokens, you're going to need to have that crow in hand. It also gains a target number of 12. So even if a friendly model is relenting, you still need a 7 to have it go off. So, good. No argument here. Moving on. Here comes, an, I would say, another controversial one, just because it's a lot of changes, and it might be too much in the other direction. But Archie got uh, got some got some got hit a little bit with the nerf bat. Uh, he's no longer ruthless, which is not good for a guy that can't focus. Uh, he gained the rush ability, which adds plus to his to his charge. However, his moves reduced from five down to four, so now he's just slower. His leap lost the mask on it, so instead of needing a five, he now needs a four. It got bumped up to by one at least. Uh, so now he needs a four and a mask, or burn a soul stone to leap. Hurl Corpse, his ranged attack, um, no longer gets the built-in tear off a bite trigger, so he's healing less frequently, and it's it's he can he can still do this attack while engaged, right? Yeah, there's no gun. Okay, cool. So I'm assuming part of the thing was like if he's low on wounds, he can just take this attack action uh, twice, just to really just to heal more than anything, because that's uh, is that after resolving or does he need to succeed on that? Uh, it's after succeeding. There's no timing on it. Uh, okay. All right. I mean, I guess you could still just throw it out of friendly mode. A- anyways, so his healing got knocked down a bit. His leap got a lot harder to do. His movement got put down, and he's no longer ruthless. Not good things for Archie. It's gained the ability Mournful Memories. So it's uh, stat 5, target number 12. During this activation, the next duel this model takes may receive either any one suit from this action's final duel total or a positive flip. This is the probably the only way you're really going to get past uh, ser- anything you need a focus for. And it's going to cost you a 7, so it's not exactly cheap. But it's still a way to get out a suit you need without having to stone if you got a metal card uh, with the suit that you that you want sort of a sort of a slight compensation um, I definitely think you're no longer gonna see him outside of a forgotten crew I think you might it won't be nearly as often thankfully which is is really the the focus on him here but you you might still unless you think you're gonna see serene countenance or uh, terrifying or maybe manipulative although with mournful memories, as long as you have that seven in hand, you don't care about manipulative or serene countenance at all. Overall, I think these are good changes. I, I think the fact that his leap is harder, but he can charge once per turn to effectively have a, a, a 10 inch movement. If he walk charges, I think he's fine. You're still going to see him. Molly has card draw like crazy. It's not going to be a problem. Cool. He just won't be everywhere. That's good. I'll take it. Uh, next up valedictorian, the valedictory ability. Uh, action 
can now choose cards with values equal to or less than the value of the discarded card, plus two for each marker removed, and cannot be used to draw jokers. So you can't uh, use that ability to pull the red joker back out of the discard. Uh, Valedictorian also got a cost increase by one. Overall, it was probably Von Stuck's go-to model for summoning off of. I don't know if this does enough to curb Von Stuck, or at least how I can how good I consider Von Stuck to be, but uh, we'll see how that is. We'll, uh, more As more, pe- more and more people get the box, I think we'll get a better bead on how good he is. I think he's stupid good, but... Also, uh, I'm biased. I'm a biased Arcanist, so... <laughs> For the most part, I think it's really the cost increase is the, the bigger thing. I, I, I guess I've never really seen anyone pull out the Red Joker from Valedictory. That's, is that the only change? Is just can't draw the Joker? That's the main thing, yeah. And having had it done to me twice in the same game, yeah, this was needed. <laughs> now here's the question... Did they use it to pull out the red joker or the black joker? Because I could see just as much how how useful owning the black joker in your hand would be. And oh then no, you- they 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 went ahead and charged, killed a thing, ate two markers, and discarded a ten. Pulled the red joker out from earlier, hit something else, cheated in the red joker on damage because he had focus on it because Von Stuck is crazy good. Okay, I'm glad I can't do that anymore. Me too. Next um, up. Oh yeah. Okay. Good, good changes. I'm a little uh, surprised they still have Flurry on her, because you can also hand out fast a lot. But, like you said, we'll see how it goes going forward. Yeah. I think when it comes to card shenanigans in the game, they generally try to avoid letting you use it to get the Jokers a lot. Because they do the same thing with uh, Big Brain Bren. Mm-hmm. You can't pull the Joker back. And with Lucid Dreaming, if you pull a Joker, you just gotta discard it. You can't remove it from the game. So, like, most card shenanigans have some sort of, like, Joker clause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. I like I like weird sticking to its guns on, like, the Jokers are always going to be a thing. It's something you always have to worry about or handle, and there's no way to dodge it. Yeah, so, or at the very least, you're you're on even keel with having to deal with Black Joker and Red Joker. Like, Bryn can discard the Red Joker, Bryn can discard the Black Joker. Um, both of them are viable. So, moving on. Oh, oh, Lord. Re- okay, do I just say Reva's completely different and now she's playable and leave it at that? <laughs> do either of you two have a better beat on these changes? Because this is a lot. Okay, so um, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to find someone who knows anything about Reva and uh, I'll just splice in their their comments about that. So uh, just got to go out and find a Rezzer player, I guess. Insert Insert stuff now. Hello everybody, it's Nate. I'm here to deliver my thoughts on the changes to Reva. Gonna deliver my two cents because I've had a little table time with her both pre and post errata. She got a couple changes which are all in all positive and I think make her a little more viable than she was because as it was before, the way I look at it, she was a master with three different mechanics, none of which were really all that fleshed out. They all kind of had their own direction and none of them came together in a fully cohesive play style. But now we've got a bit more to go on with what she just got. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is the change to her cauterized trigger, uh, because that is really just a clarification thing. The wording is instead of pyre marker, it's now the target, which is the pyre marker. So that's just a clarification thing. Not really that important. The important things are 
on her bonus action, Embrace the Flame, which lets her basically pull burning off of a friendly model and anyone within three and heal them the value of that burning up to a three, gained the Mask Swift Action trigger, so she can do this twice, which gives her a really strong support bonus action and helps relieve a lot of the pressure that her crew ends up taking, either from burning or just from their generally lower defenses, meaning they're going to be taking a lot of damage before they can really do as much in the game. Her Forgotten Dead ability, which lets her summon one of her corpse candle totems at the start of her activation, now no longer requires her to discard a card. As long as there's a corpse or a pyre marker within six inches, she can just pop one out, but it starts off with burning one. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, because she also gained the Channel Flame ability, which lets her, before performing a duel, lower the burning on a friendly model within 8 by 1 to gain positives to that duel. So now you're summoning basically a corpse marker, and then she can make attacks out of it with positives, which is pretty useful, especially when, again, there's going to be a lot of pyre markers out in a Reva crew. Not, not as much as like a Karis crew, but... As long as you're have, getting your corpse candles killed and getting kills with your other models, you should be getting some pyre markers out and friendlies so they can gain burning and shielded. Then you should have basically a lot of ammo for Reva to use to get pretty good attacks off, especially since she's got stat 6 on both of her, her different attacks, her ethereal reaping and her feet on grief. Also on her ethereal reaping, the mass trigger changed from knock aside to pulled here and there which now gives her an option to move either the target or herself, which is nice, just gives her a little bonus mobility. So all in all, I think these changes are a pretty good step. It basically helps flesh out the burning synergy that I think was not quite there. I think letting Reva basically be the piece that can pull burning off and use it to her advantage, combined with stuff like the Draugr, where they can jump to models burning and pull it off, gives her an interesting place and it basically helps with the the damage again from all the lower defenses and just the amount of burning you'll be stacking and i think that it can that'll keep this crew on the table a bit longer to do what it really wants to do so i think now you get reva playing a bit more strongly as a bubble kind of style crew everyone's staying in that eight inch bubble of strength where they're all kind of benefit the most and reva plays almost like in a, a damage and support master. Gives her kind of a little balance between the two styles. And I'm looking forward to uh, getting it on the table and trying it out a little bit more. So let us know what you think. All right. Wow. That was just so incredibly insightful. I, I never I, I never knew about most of those things. So Ten Thunders. I have feelings about the Ten Thunders. It's nice to see... Some of these changes. What? Are they are they good feelings? Those feelings you have about Ten Thunders? I'll give you two guesses. Monaco yeah. Ray. The 40 th- they're up to 40 now. Okay, they're the 40 Thunders. So we're just going to keep running with this joke until it's dead and then a little bit further. Because Victoria plays her others. Monaco Ray <laughs> was, was uh, it's, she's really good. I think she's still good. She's got some nerfs, though, so that's nice. Uh, her Karmic Debt trigger um, was changed from after resolving to after succeeding. So now uh, you aren't getting the lovely upgrade that lets you them summon a Wanyudo off of your corpse 
if you just sneeze on her. She actually has to beat the, you in the defensive willpower duel, whatever. Which is good. It's much better than what it was. Uh, her Kadashiro creation got a little bit jankier. It's now a um, stat 17, which costs her... What's what's the card that it's going to cost her? Needs a 12. She now needs a 12 instead of a 10, which is good oh, considering she's a, a, a henchman. You probably shouldn't make summoning so easy for her. However, if she's discarding a shadow marker instead of a scrap marker, that her stat goes up by two. So now she has a lot more synergy with her actual master instead of the entire faction. Well, I guess you yeah. still need you still need scrap markers, and I'm not sure how scrap marker generation works in 10th letter, so take that back. McCabe. Oh, goody. McCabe. Cause... <laughs> well, the, the, the difference is McCabe, in, in a McCabe crew, she needs a, or I guess a Sami if they have an Oni that drops scrap, I think. There okay. she needs a 12. In a uh, Misaki crew off of a Shadow Marker, you need a 10. Still a good model. Yeah. yeah. No, solid. I'm surprised to see Versatile still on there. Like, I thought that was the big issue. Baby Steps? Yasunori is a model that, uh, what, what, sorry, did you have anything more? Unusable now, the Yasunori. They just uh, ruined it. Yeah, it's completely useless. <laughs> I will, I will, uh, fully agree with, with that. Yasunori got changed for the better, I, as in, like, game health for the better. His cost went up to 11, so now he's, like, writer cost. Hooray. Uh, his chasing advantage ability is now a mask for every three cards in your opponent's hand. So now, for the most part, he has a mask instead of three or two or three, which is really great. So he's not like reducing all of the damage this time around. Hooray. And I think the extra best part is he no longer has Onslaught. Hooray. Which I know is really good on the swarm, but also super good on him because he almost always has a mask built in. And now... He's been adjusted. Uh, what is, he's got quick reflexes instead. I don't know what that does right off the bat. Let me look it up real quick. That is, action take again. this action again, targeting a different model. Oh, cool. Okay, I'm cool with that. Still because, yeah, because then he needs to be, like, into multiple models to get use out of it. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's not, it, it's, despite what some people might say, he still seems plenty useful. It's just, you know, sanding that edge off, making him less oppressive. Exactly. Un- unplayable, completely. You heard or it will you- just, like, take the wings off, make it, like, a McCabe proxy or something. It's unusable. Um, actually, it would probably be a pretty cool McCabe proxy. He's got the mask, he's got the sword, just give him a mirror, he's McCabe. Yes. <laughs> or, or even better, just get, like, some of that chrome spray paint and do up the, the flying horse, and now that's your mirror. Oh, there you go. Yeah, genius. That's Yasunari. Moving on, Lust! Lust! Lust got better, and she needed it, so no complaints here. Defense went from a 4 to a 5. Seduction gave the gains the Love Hurts trigger. Love Hurts. When resolving, the target suffers 2 damage. Cool. So she can actually now do seduction and do more than just ripping off focus and distracted. You can stone or throw down the tomes for uh, putting two damage. I guess Love Hurts is also on the now kiss ability. So two different ways she can deal damage as opposed to not being able to do damage except for a trigger on one attack. Good. It's good. I don't know if this makes her like 
useful and bringable, but I don't know if this, like, makes her good enough to actually bring or not, but we'll see. At I least- think you'll see her more often in a Crossroads crew now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, I forgot these changes. Lascivious music is now a bonus action. I guess it was just a regular action before, but now it's bonus. So she's got, she's got a bonus action. Cool. Um, that makes it a lot better. And let's see. Lascivious music no longer reveals extra cards based on sin tokens, and the target must discard a random card from their hand. So, reading from the new card. Lascivious music. 10-inch range. Stat 6, targeting willpower, enemy only. Target reveals the top three cards of its fate deck. Choose one, then discard the rest. The target draws the chosen card and must must discard a random different card. So for bonus action, that's still pretty good because you are probably giving them a low card and you're probably pulling out something worse. Or at the very least, nothing at all. In which case, you've at least discarded probably two decent cards from the top of their deck. Not bad. Any thoughts on Lust, guys? She's still not where she was in M2E, but that's fine. I'm glad that we will probably see her a little more in Crossroads Cruise. Agreed. Okay. I, I want the Crossroads Cruise just to be like, like, it's a lot better than it was second edition, but I want it to be just like a, a very usable crew. I just love the, the concept of it. Oh, we have a, a local that is getting them down pretty well, and they are brutal if you have them working on all cylinders. Good. Chiaki uh, used Dang. to be a niece and now she's a bacon. She uh her split the soul trigger? Is it a trigger? Was it a trigger? Yes. It was the thing yes. that let her attach reliquaries without having the model need to die. Yes. But now it's only friendly non-master retainer models within range. So she can't just give it out to anyone. And it needs a, a card discard. Yep. But still, like usable and not abusable. Yes. Great. Good job, Weird. Sensei U. Sensei U is getting the nerf. Or not really a nerf. This is another one of the ones where, like, the intent seemed pretty obvious, but it was being used the other way. Chi Chi tokens are only given out when friendly models are damaged by enemy effects, not friendlies. So you can't generate a butt-ton of chi on Shenlong with your little broom dudes. Okay, both of you agree with me. Moving on. Yeah, no, that's... That was cool. We're like an hour and a half in. We still got to go for gaining ground. So this is good. This is good. Uh, last up for the 10 Thunders changes, Kitty Dumont. Yet another one that seems like is just uh, removing the abuse. Uh, the under the table trigger that she had where she like drew three cards. It's now restricted to enemy only. So you can't spam out a bunch of cards on your own models uh, just by attacking your own models. Cool. Great. So we pretty much shot down that entire Shenlong versatile list, which you could still bring. But uh, I mean, just going back to the thing, I, I I I bristle at the idea of a single list being able to win a tournament. And so maybe this is too many. No, no, I'm not gonna say it's too many stuff because a good a decent amount of this things is like it probably should have worked this way to begin with. Okay, I'm gonna get out the soapbox now. <laughs> And fear not, 10 Thunders players, you still have plenty of excellent versatile models. Yep. And I will I will apologize to as many of you that want to apology if all these changes and gaining grounds one makes you puts your faction under the curve. Because uh, I have my biases and sometimes I have a hard time seeing things from other people's perspective. And for some reason, this could ruin your faction. I don't think it does. But if it ends up being that way, then I will apologize to you 
genuinely. Okay, upgrades. We have a lot of upgrade changes, mostly nerfs. Uh, one one buff, I think. One buff, one buff, and yeah, one one buff. A side buff, kind of. First up, the side buff, kind of. The Manos Reliquary no longer gives out Demise Internal, but instead gives out Lantern of Souls. So in corner cases, it's more useful, but that's usually probably not what you're wanting it for, so it is a nerf. Also, the regeneration it gives out goes down to regeneration one. So no longer making things impossible to kill. Good. Yeah, um, this, this one makes a lot of sense, because Manos doesn't have Demise Eternal, so I never really understood why the Reliquary handed it out he doesn't i don't believe so i thought he did maybe i've forgotten how to read it's entirely possible uh says demise reliquary oh okay so you can't have two demise abilities does not have demise eternal see the reason i'm like a hundred percent okay with that giving it out is because the the actual truth of breach um, one shot that comes with him is all about you killing him and then you having to re-kill him because he doesn't die. So I just sort of assumed that was a thing. But that's why that's there. I 100% guarantee it. I mean, it was it's how you sort of worked in 2nd edition too, right? Yeah. yeah. But in, in this case, it was he didn't die, but no ancestor died anyway because Yan Lo brings them back if he doesn't break the reliquary to heal. So yeah, the... Either way, that still works, but it doesn't make whatever you put the reliquary on Demise Eternal, which is really good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fermented River Style, the Shenlong nerf, besides uh, Sensei Yu getting, getting touched. Uh, Drunken Kung Fu got completely taken off and replaced with Unpredictable, which is, I believe, just dr- Drunken Kung Fu, but only for the dual flip, not for damage. Yep. Good. Good. Very glad. Falling Rave Kick uh, no longer does any damage track. It just, excuse me, does a flat three damage. And instead of being able to push before you make the attack, you just get placed within um, base contact of the model you hit. And for that small change, it gets added uh, an extra inch on the attack. And it gains a target number of 12. So, ugh, I don't. Like, unless you are going up against a bunch of models with, like, manipula- uh, manipulative or serene countenance or what have you, I don't see him attaching this upgrade a whole ton. I mean, I guess the falling rave kick, being able to just do a flat three damage and not having to worry about flips is nice. It gives out stagger, too, to be fair. But yeah, and it, and it has a place, which isn't as good as it used to be with its extra six-inch move, but it, it's still a place. But now he so. ha- will actually consider other upgrades. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I, I I, honestly don't know where he sits after all of this. He could still be really good. He could be normal. He could be under the curve. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. He still has some things that I bristle at, like being able to move around um, conditions without any sort of resist, which bugs me a bit. But, I mean, there's plenty of models out there that bug me. I'm sure you all know of this. So... <laughs> He's one of the ones that, like, him and Reva, I think, are the two that I'm, like, really interested to see how they come out of this. So, Agreed. Yeah. Get your, get your, get your reports in, people. I, wanna, I want that information. <clears throat> okay. Think, yeah, go ahead. He's still got a lot of really, most of his good stuff. It's just they took his 
biggest problem and put it down to a more reasonable level. Yeah. But there's he's he's not in any way lost his playability by any means. He's still got a lot of great stuff going for him. Yeah. Cool. I think he's going to be less auto-taken to everything uh, unless you really know him and can really play his crew, which is how it should be. Okay. 12 cups of coffee. I'm pretty sure a lot of people sell this as an issue, and um, you're no longer allowed to just scoot across the entirety of the board after one turn. It now it only goes off when an enemy model ends their activation within six in- inches of it. Um, with the s- distraction ability on it and the marked territory, I still think this is a good upgrade. Just, you know, kind of taking the abuse out of it. Yeah, you're no longer going to have rocket-propelled gators or whiskey gammon or what have you. As fun and as great of a visual as mental image as that is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the main difference is I think it's going to be used more on non-minions now. Oh, yeah. Like, you're more likely to see an enforcer or a master with diversion now instead of popping on your little dudes so they can fly away. Yeah, I can see that. But I'm also a brewmaster player, so I was doing that anyway. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, no prisoners. The guild upgrade became actually takeable, from what I hear. Uh, no longer has a clockwork grenade, but it gains the riot gear ability, and the running gun ability has been replaced with catch them. Catch them, not catch them. This isn't Pokemon. Right, gear. This model reduces all damage suffered by hazardous terrain, shockwave, and blast effects by one. So, yeah, gives you a little bit of a decent amount of protection, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And pulses. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, and pulses. So basically, all indirect damage you're now reducing by one, which is cool. It's it's better evasive, basically. Yeah. Yes, it is. Then the catch them ability, which is the minion thing once per turn after resolving a successful attack action targeting an enemy model within eight inches this model may discard a card to choose another friendly model within two inches of itself place the chosen model into base contact with the target holy shit <laughs> oh my god oh oh that's scary yep i think this is exactly what guild needed as far as if you were to pick one thing that you could easily fix without changing all of their minions. What they generally lack is movement shenanigans of a offensive variety. That is one hell of a movement shenanigan. Yes, it is. Oh, geez. Oh, that's scary. I like that. Oh, I like that. That can include Lady J. Oh, God. I mean, like, she's going to get there anyways, but like other like slower big beater things, you could do that with a peacekeeper. Or an executioner. No! This is going to be scary on um, Agent 46. I mean, I know he's not a minion, but he, having basically evasive on top of stealth is really good. Yeah, and, and on the prowl would give him heal. Because he kills a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's a good call, Eli. Uh, changelings also have stealth, so you might see this on them a few times. Have them go out, hit a thing, and then suddenly your big beater's right next to the thing they hit. Okay. Mm. Um, well, shall we move on? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Inhuman Reflexes, the Neverborn upgrade. And I'll go ahead and just let Eli take this one, because it's his faction. All right, so Inhuman Reflexes, the Butterfly Jump, was replaced with Scamper. So let me 
pull up Scamper so I can make sure I'm reading it right. Butterfly Jump was, of course, if you were targeted by an enemy attack action, you could, uh, after the action resolved, you could move three inches. Scamper is now, uh, after an enemy model within Aura 6, Cheats Fate. This model may push up to two inches in any direction after resolving the current action or ability. So it's it's not quite a nerf. It's not quite a buff because they both do two different things. I'd say kind of, I would say more nerf than buff. Yeah, I I mean you can't anything that's outside of six inches, it you can't do anything with it, you know? So Neverborn are continuing to be vulnerable to, you know, guns. But there's also more opportunity for it to go off because if things cheat around you, even if they're not targeting you, you get those two inches to move. Yep. Also, more of a corner case thing, but since it is only two inches instead of three, if you want to just stop it from mattering for an attack, you charge into base contact with them with something that has a two-inch engagement. Even if they push, they're now at the edge of your engagement for the second attack. Ah. I mean, you didn't have to go the three inches with Butterfly Jump if you didn't want to. Yeah, but in, in general, you were going to jump you with could something that had a two-inch engagement. Yeah. You, yeah, you could always you're, you're holding them by the head and they're trying to punch you and failing. Yeah, I, I I like it because that puts the onus on the opponent and they're like, I can cheat this, but you get the push. Mm-hmm. So I get to choose whether or not this happens. And usually they're only going to be cheating if they're already missing or if they're trying to get a trigger. So if they're already missing and they don't cheat, they're still only going to be hitting you once with that second attack. So it's it's not a huge disaster if they like if they, if they choose not to cheat like you're it's usually not a problem yeah yeah that's what i'm saying okay so that's a nice slight change to human reflexes i'm happy with it mast agent that thing <laughs> that thing that i disliked as an iron side this is play. my this is my single favorite change they made okay unsettling presence which was the six inches aura that said enemy yep. models couldn't declare defensive triggers Inside this aura has been replaced with Relentless. That is the exact same thing, but instead of six inches, it is engagement. Hallelujah. So now you're still turning off defensive triggers, but now you're in the danger zone of getting really hurt by everything that doesn't want that upgrade to be in existence anymore. It's still useful, but now there's a decent amount of counterplay and less of a giant aura where a giant no fun aura is what I'm going to call it. (laughs) um and uh the with me ability got changed slightly now the friendly model has to be within two inches instead of three um just like with ride with me or fly with me yeah it's almost like it was based off those things and should have should have had the same distance as them next up is soulstone cash and i'm honestly not not happy with this change it says the recharge soulstone ability only happens when an enemy model within three inches is killed. So now it no longer goes off when a friendly model is killed. Which, if any of you know how soulstones work, that makes no damn sense. It's not biased like that. So I was made aware of the reason this change happened. And while I can kind of see as like, oh, that's that's not a good thing. It's also like requires a lot of setup. And I was only made aware of it, like, very recently. So I don't know how much long we have had time to stew on this as to whether or not it's actually a problem. 
And I feel like there was a, a better change to it, but uh, okay, that's that's my opinion. So the abuse is uh, Roman had re- uh, recently brought out to me that someone had mentioned to him that bringing it on like a Joss or a Howard in Hoffman crew was producing too many soul stones. And that feels like he would have won the game anyways, regardless of what the cash was doing, because at that point you're killing just a lot of stuff. But I've only seen Hoffman bring like fairly elite crews, so losing a friendly model nearby them isn't that good of a benefit. I could be I would I would be love to be proven wrong on that, but the other thing which is it's a a bit of a Rube Goldberg machine with Colette. Uh, currently, as it uh, as it originally was, um, it affected her doves. And so you could actually bring two copies of this, one on Colette and one on another model. And they've got to be like packed together because this is only a three-inch range where she would kill a dove to get the suit she needed for Presto Changeo, where she then summoned another dove. So dove dies, you get two soul stones for that dove, and another dove pops out. And then you did that, like, three times, and I think you used Saber Trick on a dove to get even more stones out of it. So, basically, what you did is you blew, you you got a big bubble up of Colette, her doves. You do absolutely nothing productive towards winning the game first turn, and you have to pay for two copies of this. And you get, like, a net pot, net gain of, like, six soul stones, which is still good. It's still good, but that's, that's just, that's just Colette. Like, you aren't doing this with anyone else in the faction. And, like, why not just change it to be significant models? Yeah, um, significant and, and other. Because I will say the other thing that I've I've seen oh. more often is people ask, what happens if the model with this dies? And as written, the original version, you essentially recouped half the cost of the upgrade. Okay. Yeah, I can see that definitely coming off. That's, that's, too, that's too much. But... If you, yeah, if you're, those could be bad enough situations that would warrant a change, but they just seem so really recent to me that I feel like this is a bit of a knee jerk, but that's my opinion. And this doesn't ruin the upgrade. It's, it's just frustrating that like all of, as as an Arcanist, all of our, our nerfs went to public things versus all models and, and an upgrade. And, like, for the layman Arcanist player, you couldn't abuse this upgrade. So, I, that, that's the only frustrating thing. I'm still going to bring it every once in a while. It's still, like, really good on things like Steam Reactant Swarm. So, all in all, uh, not the end of the world. But just wanted to bring that up because I'm sure some other people are going to definitely be asking that question. So, I figured I'd at least point out the uh, the abuse that warranted this change. But anyways, um, does that make sense, Eli? Yes. Okay. So... That's the that's the errata. Um, let's quickly go into gaining grounds, season one, and go over the the new stuff real quick. And um, I, honestly, I don't really have any complaints here because like there's things where I'm like, oh, that could be maybe abused that way, and maybe could be used that way. But like that's the case with all strategies and schemes in every gaining grounds, and the fact that we are getting something r- almost completely brand new pretty much every year is so integral and amazing for this game. So any sort of like things I dislike or whatnot don't really matter. It's cool. And none of these things are awful. I will hundred percent. I will say that with a hundred percent truthfulness that these are all good strategies and interesting ones. 
and schemes. Strategies and schemes. So, uh, for brand new strategies, the Tome one is Symbols of Authority. It gets uh, it's gonna get some getting a comeback. Slightly different than the older versions, whereas uh, previously you had to protect at least one of your symbols to get all points, but now you just have to remove a symbol per turn to gain a point on that turn. Simple enough. So for those of you that don't remember what Symbols of Authority was, you are placing down strategy markers on your half of the board. They have to be at least eight inches away from each other and not in your deployment zone. So both you and your opponent have four of these markers on their half of the board. And so you run across the board and you take an interact action when you're in base contact with the marker to remove that marker. And if you remove the marker on that turn, then you gain a point. Relatively simple. Um, really, really cool. Has a nice back and forth, almost like capture the flag uh, tag kind of thing. You have to manage both models, uh, aggressive models on their end of the board that are trying to score this while you're protecting your own stuff. A whole lot of depth for uh, strategy and fun. What do you guys think? I'm excited to see this one come back, even with the slight change of having to be in base contact and it being 30 mils instead of 50s. This was fun. I expect it'll be fun again. Yeah, I think this will be a good a good addition. Okay, cool. Um, uh, it's, it's a very it's a very simple. It's it's straightforward, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like it'd be super easy. You know what I'm saying? It's straightforward, but it's not giving points to anybody. And there's a lot you can do with different crews, I'm sure, that'll just uh-huh. make the game more interesting. I think it lends a lot of benefits to fast crews, but it's not like impossible for slower ones either. Uh, I guess my biggest whine is it seems like it's really good for things like um, hucksters, but at the very least, the markers are not blocking, so they can't immediately teleport into base contact with them. So there will be a bit of, uh, at least if you're bringing this one, TOs, make sure that you don't have too much blocking terrain on the board. I guess, well, it's only for hucksters. They're just one model. So, uh, and Seamus. And, Sh- and Seamus, but... I feel like if you're forcing Seamus to scheme, either something has gone awry or you're basically winning hand over fist. Well, no, I shouldn't say that because I love like doing things outside. Now, shut up, Doug. Shut up. Scheme with Seamus all you want, you beautiful bastards. Recover evidence. Sorry, what? Oh, I was just chuckling because you're hilarious. Yay. Recover evidence, the new mask strategy. This is basically... these are These kind of have parallels to other strategies somewhat symbols of authority was vaguely like it's it's the least closest to its co- comparable one and being kind of close to um idols but recover evidence is is pretty much your plan explosives analog however instead of putting s- explosives on your models you're putting intel on your opponent's markers so you're actually designating enemy models to have these markers Five of them, specifically, and they can't be on Masters. And then, if the model with an Intel token is reduced to one health or below or is killed, they discard any Intel tokens they have on them, and the opposing player then drops a strategy marker into base contact with the model for each one they have. Now, you can only place one on a model, one per model, at the beginning of the game, but I'm assuming stuff like if Corfei, uh that replace in a single models uh, would end up having multiple markers on them does it say one per model yeah alternates placing a total of five intel tokens on enemy non-master models without an intel token okay so yeah i believe that's just coverage for um 
you know, replacement fusion stuff. Um, so once they drop those, you, it's just sort of like the symbols of authority, walk up, take an interact, pick it up, score for that round. But I really, really, really like the sort of counterplay to it. See, if a model would be buried due to a friendly effect, if they have a token on them, then the enemy model can, uh, the enemy opponent can just say, no, you don't bury and you just stop burying. So you can't really run away with this stuff. And since you're the you're the one deciding on what of their models they go on, you can pick things that have to come to you. They're like big beater, you know, the big beaters are just non-schemy stuff, so they can't put them on a bunch of cheap schemers and then go and hide them. So it has a lot of agency for you as um, being able to dictate where these things go. And for some reason, if you don't have five legal models to put it on then you can just drop a marker on the center line so your opponent can't like cheese it so you can't put five markers out on them either so i like this i actually like this better than um plant explosives but of course plant explosives was definitely less aggressive and less killy um and really this is much more killy strategy but um what what what'd you guys think what what do you got eli you can go first this time i think the uh the berry effects is interesting how your opponent can just say, yeah, no, you're not burying. That's an interesting way to do that. Uh, but I also understand why it's why it's that way. Like, you don't want a crew that can just, like, bury all its models, and what are you going to do? Kill his model? You can't. Yeah. So, all you Arcanist players out there, if you're going into recovery evidence, don't bring a Soulstone Miner. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could just bring a Soulstone Miner and then hide him in the back if you really wanted to, but I think your opponent's just going to put a token on him and say, nope, never can bury. I do have the question, since miners have a, a trigger to put down a pit trap, does that get put down even though they can't bury, or does that outright stop the action? I mm, I don't know. Is the wording after burying, or is it after... Well, you can't be after burying because it has to be placed in a base contact with them. Oh, so so I guess it would have to be I would imagine before. that works. You just Yeah, I would imagine that would work. You just don't bury. Oh, actually, I like this. I like this a lot. Cool. I'm br- I'm bringing I'm bringing Soulstone Myers just so I can put out pit traps every turn. It seems kind of it just seems kind of rough now for um like Lady J or Tara because if you're you can bury it it'll let you bury your enemy model like enemy models but what happens to the enemy models if they die while buried? Oh, or what happens to the so if they die while buried? What happens to the uh, Intel. It would get discarded because there's no no yeah. corpse to place them next to. But you are choosing right. to bury them. Yeah. No there. one is forcing you to make them do that. And That's Terra's true. probably going to have a rough time with this anyway, what with the friendly berries just saying no. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see why they had to put that in there or else she would just dominate this being like, oh, you put those on those things. Well, they're buried now. I'm. You're not going to play this game. Yep. And, you know, good thing you always know what you're getting into before you pick your masters. So this is definitely not a Terra-friendly strategy. Moving on, Corrupted Ley Lines. This is slightly complicated, but uh, we're now playing some sort of sports ball in Malifaux, which I'm cool with. I think it's great. So you place out your grid of five strategy markers a la Turf War. This is sort sort of like Turf War. And what happens is you place a single lodestone token on a friendly model. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the model with that lodestone token on it into base contact 
with one of these strategy markers. And at the end of the turn, if they're in base contact with it, um, you sort of claim that that token. Although you can, although you can sort of claim tokens that are claimed by your opponent. So it's not like turf war where only one person can own a marker. Both of you can own a marker. So got to be in base contact with it at the end of the turn. So you can just run with it with your fast stuff. However, you can also take an interact action as a model or a friendly model that are within one inch of the model with the lodestone. And then you can just throw it to a friendly model that's within six inches in line of sight. So that's where the sports ball reference comes into play because now you can toss this thing around or um i think yeah that's super useful because if you somehow get it forced onto a model that's already activated then you're just screwed for the turn without being able to move someone within one inch and take an interact to throw that thing out so i think this game is this particular strategy is going to be really fun for Trixie crews that have a lot of enemy movement and movement denial stuff, but also still pretty use pretty pretty safe for very, very fast crews. Gonna be kind of hard for the slow moving ones unless they have a lot of movement tricks or at least a lot of denial movement tricks. But I'm excited. Roman, what do you think about this one? I think this is gonna be an interesting one. I think there's there's more layers to this than are immediately obvious, uh, such as you can have the model, all, all models are within one inch of themselves, so they can tell themselves to interact and throw, or they can have another friend, if the model with the lodestone's already gone, another friend can run up and tell them to throw. I like the fact that you can't kill a model that has the stone and just screw your opponent Oh, over yeah, we, we didn't go over that. Was, yeah, any anytime you're uh, removed from the table, killed, buried, etc., as it says... You move the lodestone token to the closest friendly model, uh, ignoring line of sight. So that I, I think there's going to be some interesting trickery here for if you can force bury your own friendlies yeah. and have someone else already set up elsewhere who maybe did get into place by using a placement uh, that the lodestone normally disallows if you're carrying it. There's going to be some some interesting ones here okay sure. yeah i guess we should also point out that if you have the marker on you you cannot be placed so things like uh fly with me ride with me some other Flight thing like they can't they can't leap flying in general although you can still move uh, yeah. this, this denies that so there's a bit of a penalty to movement for it but you know if you're still like move seven you're still move seven and yeah like, anyone that's got a friendly berry is going to be able to trick out some decent marker throwing. Not entirely sure how useful that's going to be, but uh, lures, lures, oh goodness, lures are going to be so useful in this. Unless you're playing guild, because guild have leadline coat. Oh my goodness, guild, bring two copies of leadline coat to this. Because of laugh off. So that they can't pull. Seamus players are dusting off their bells. Yeah. So I, I'm also just picturing Seamus dusting his bells. <laughs> triggers like bolt aside are going to be nice you shove the enemy model with a lodestone wherever you want kill it and then make it go way away from where they wanted it yeah i feel like uh kidnapping is going to be a thing like pulling in the model with the lodestone and then just 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 bubbling around it so nothing can get close to it and it's not going to die i, I don't know how viable of a strategy that is but it'd be interesting to see someone pull it off Long story short, the the trickery movement placement shenanigans strat is usually, in my mind, the most fun because it has the most layers to it. Okay. 
Public enemies are Crow's strategy. The last one. This is replacing reckoning. Um, it is a murder fest. It is a murder fest, but it is a different murder fest. Basically, you gain bounty tokens for if uh, you kill an enemy model based on their cost. A cost of one to six is one bounty token. A cost of seven or eight is two bounty tokens. And a cost of nine plus is three bounty tokens. Now... At the end of a turn, you can select any number of friendly models and remove all of the bounty tokens from them. Now, if you've removed enough bounty tokens to be at the amount of points you scored for the strategy plus two, then you score a point for the strategy. So for those of you at home that uh, need a bit of the math, uh, to get one point for the strategy, you need to remove at least two bounty tokens and then three for two points and four for three points. And five for four points. That's that's a decent amount. That's a decent amount of points. And so, if you manage to not kill enough stuff, you can still keep all the tokens on your models. And you, this also prevents you from like killing a whole bunch of stuff one turn with one model, and then getting like nine tokens on it because you still got you have to remove all of them if you remove them. So this this dodges that uh, trickery as well. So there's benefits to spreading the killing around and you can kill more than what you need on a turn as opposed to reckoning, but then you still have to keep those models alive so you can remove the bounty tokens on them. I like this. It puts a little bit more thought into public and that like reckoning ended up sort of extending its lifespan and the time it took to finish it because you had to pace out killing so much and concentrate on that. This has a little bit less of that. I don't know if it's, like, too killy, because there's still the benefit of, like, just being able to kill of your opponent's stuff and then gain points as you see fit. I guess another thing is that you can definitely tech out your crews to not give enough bounty points to actually score all four for the strategy, which is, I think, a first in the game. Uh, you also gain a point if there are no enemy models in play, so if they do that, you can just table them. Okay. But realistically, how often are you tailing your opponent? Not often. I, I think you make a good point there. Uh, there's definitely, again, there's some interesting levels here because you can definitely bring a bunch of models if you have them one to six cost or maybe a bunch of insignificant that you can do interesting stuff with and punch above their cost. They're going to have trouble killing enough of your guys that matter. Yeah. And you're going to be able to do it. I think Hamlin and uh, Somer might really like this, actually. I was, I was thinking more along the lines of bringing stuff that instead of dying replaces into something cheaper. So, like, if you have a Lady Justice crew where you bring um, a recruiter, then everything on your crew can basically turn into a one soul stone model. I mean, not one soul stone, but a one, one bounty point model. Ooh, that's tricksy. I like it. Yeah, yeah or, um, like, <laughs> no one brings them, but a Desolation Engine suddenly goes from a three-point model to a one-point model. Corfi. Yeah. Go down. Yeah, or at least they go down uh, from... Yeah, they go from you know. two to one. So, like, still, you gotta really plan around it. I don't know how good these type of crews are, but we'll see how that plays out. Regardless, it's... It, I think it's I reckon, think, reckoning with a little bit more thinking and a little less long-term planning. I think we're more likely to see uh, crews being tabled, though, than we did with reckoning. Because in reckoning, you had to hold back. Unless you can guarantee tabling your whole crew. 
you wanted to hold back so you had points to score later. Whereas this does not punish you a whole lot for just killing as much as you want at the beginning. Like Reckoning, there's a whole turn where you just didn't want to kill anything. Yeah. This one, you can kill as much as you want on the first turn, and you've got good odds of still getting those points. Also, there's, two, there's less restraint. Two, two notes as well. Reckoning just required the thing to die. Public enemies specifies, one, either needs to be called by your model, or two, if they're killed by a friendly controlled model or condition, then you can still get the points on a friendly model if they're within line of sight. So there is also play around that, where you can hide something you know is going to die, and then your opponent can't get any tokens for it. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. We'll see. If this ends up being, like, super-duper killy, then we got a year for a new one. <laughs> then. Or, heck, we might we might see, a, a, like, a mid, mid-term change. But I guess out of all of these, this is the one that might be slightly worrisome, but I'm not too terribly worried about it, too. Like, we like to go to, like, the worst-case scenario very, very often here. Because it's fun to jump to conclusions. Okay. Schemes? Schemes? Schemes. Schemes. Okay. Five schemes make a return, more or less intact, with slight changes. I'm not going to go over those changes, because I don't know what most of them are. Breakthrough stays. Take Prisoner stays. Vendetta stays. Assassinate stays. And Claim Jump stays. New scheme number six. Hidden Martyrs. The beginning of the game secretly choose two friendly non-leader models with a total combined cost of 13 or lower. Your reveal score is at the end of the turn. If exactly one of the chosen models was killed by an enemy-controlled model this turn, gain one victory point. And your end score is if the other model that you've chosen is currently engaged by a model that costs more than it, and the model you choose is at uh, at least half its health, then you gain a victory point. So a lot of words basically making... bringing back... The, um, oh geez, what was the name of it? There was there was two schemes we got to enjoy where you're trying to force your opponent to kill stuff. But for some reason, I can't remember. Frame for murder. Frame for murder, take one for the team. Right? Yep. Yep, okay. So bringing that back, but with a little bit more complexity to it, frame for murder was always that rough one where like, oh, I got three points because your master killed this because you have to kill this thing. This is, you got to choose two models and only one of them can die. Because if both of them die on the same turn, then you're out of points. And that end that end score is pretty difficult to do, especially the health requirement on it. But it's doable, and it's definitely interesting and fun to plan for. It's going to be really hard to figure out, or actually pretty easy to figure out which one it is around the end of the time, uh, end of the turn, I think. So possibly might need some shenanigans possibly might elect like a really mobile scheme runner to just fly in at the last activation of the fifth turn to score that one vp but i'm excited for this i already know how i'm going to play it uh thoughts guys i like that for the once you reveal your first one you don't necessarily give away the second point like how you're going to get the second point because i mean there's you your opponent can go oh here's the math this are all the models that it could possibly be but they can't like guarantee this is the mo- the other model unless you set it up that way yeah i think this is going to a, a smart way to play this is going to be either your two models being under 13 stones so and having other models around there that could be 13 or lower just so your opponent's not going hey you have a 6 stone and a 7 stone minion i've killed one of them 
Well, I know what the other one is. So it, it's going to take a little crafty list crafting to do this. Yes. Yeah. But, but at I'm, least it's it's I'm, not minions. It's non-leaders. So. Exactly. Sorry. I, I, like, I, like, I stepped out real quick, so I don't know if you already said that. No, you're good. No, I was just going to the math of it. But I'm, I'm excited to see this. I was a big fan of uh, both the other schemes that did this. I, I wish it was instead of exactly one of the models. I wish if it was just if one of them was killed. Because then if they get lucky uh, and, and kill a second model, you're still getting your point. I think the exactly one actually, if they bring a really aggressive crew into scheme pools with this, it actually rewards just super aggressive murder, which is kind of the opposite of what the scheme looks like it's trying to do. So I, I wish that was tweaked, but I'm just glad to see something like this coming back. It's always been kind of a, a staple of what Malifaux is to me. I think the most most of the time you're going to see like bringing in uh, a four or three stone thing to just you know bait out the kill and then much something much more survivable worth of that second point. But uh, you can get real <laughs> tricksy and have them both be super cheap. Huh? Okay, sabotage. Um. At the beginning of the game, secretly choose a terrain piece within three inches of the enemy deployment zone. I would assume that if it's inside the enemy deployment zone, it's technically within three inches of it, right? It doesn't say yeah. not within. Okay. Reveal scheme, or I mean, reveal point. At the end of the turret, if you have two or more friendly ski markers within two inches of the chosen terrain piece on the enemy table half, and not within three inches in line of sight of an enemy model, you may remove two such ski markers to gain one victory point. Blah. Lots of words. Basically, pick a piece of terrain, put two ski markers close to it, but those ski markers can't be close to your enemy because then they'll muck up your plans. And also, if it's a big terrain piece, you can't put the ski markers on your half of the board, you cheeky bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Terrain tracks. Then the end point... Um, at the end of the game, if the chosen terrain piece has no enemy ski markers within two inches of it, and one or more friendly ski markers within two inches of it, and on the enemy table half, you may remove one such friendly ski marker to gain one victory point. I like that. Like it, the second, I like the where the second half is similar but different. So now you don't need two markers; you only need one. But your opponent can have one marker near it either. So they can't block it with bodies anymore. They got to block it with another scheme mark. But I guess that's like the counterplay. If you pick a big piece of terrain, put your two next to, it's going to be easier because you don't have to worry about spacing nearly as much. You can just play it, you know, place and then walk and then place against the same terrain piece. However, that easier scoring for the first point makes it harder for the second because your opponent has more uh, real estate to put their own marker down to deny you. Yeah, this definitely. I, I think the reveal of this, you're to to get the second point. You want to do the reveal as late in the game as possible, uh, so that they have less time to get back to that terrain piece and drop a scheme marker. I agree with you. I, I like stuff where the end point is a little different than the first. That said, I've seen enough people screw up even the stuff in in gaining ground zero of oh this was slightly different and I goofed it up. I've done it a ton too. Yeah. Oops. Everybody remember to double-check your schemes whenever you're playing. Yeah. Um, do you like the Z-Line? Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I like the uh, the use of... Like, the way it uses the terrain, I guess. I always, I always like things that use the terrain instead of just having it be a thing that's in your way. Yeah. 
certainly uh, certainly encourages TOs to have plenty of terrain on the board. TOs. Plenty of terrain. I also like the, uh, the use of scheme markers <laughs> as an anti-scheme versus only for your purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's- Sorry. Um, yeah, there's very, very little use of uh, aggressive denial scheme marker placement the past gaining rounds, but that was that was a thing before, though, wasn't it? Or if, do I am I recalling that incorrectly? I can't recall a case of it, but most of my play has been in third edition. Okay, fair. Anyways, I enjoy it. Finally, you get to use a scheme marker for denying schemes instead of getting you schemes. Moving on, number eight, catch and release. Why didn't you call this counting coup? Weird. I'm very disappointed in you. At the beginning of the game, secretly choose a friendly minion. At the end of the turn, if the chosen model is within one inch and line of sight of an enemy master or henchman, and not engaged by any other enemy model, gain one victory point. At the end of the game, if the chosen model is in play, on the enemy table half and not engaged, gain one victory point. I like this? Sort of. I feel like it's super easy uh, to bookend... I guess bookend is the wrong word, but there needs to be an expression for activating a model at the very end of a turn and then activating them very firstly at the beginning of the next turn to basically do what you want. And I feel like having a minion with like an absurd amount of movement would be pretty easy to get both points for this. Or not super easy, but like it's it's going to take some effort to deny it. I mean, to be fair, you could still win. You could still win the initiative to activate something to kill the thing, but that's not guaranteed. So, and this sounds like I'm complaining. I like it. I just that's the first thing that come up to me is like, oh, of course, like a huckster or a necropunk is going to have a field day with this thing. But um, those aren't the most hardiest of models. So, I guess there's going to be like that one activation where like, oh, you definitely have to cheat in to get first so you can kill the thing and if you don't kill the thing it's just gone but uh, what do you guys think i mean i think it's interesting i think the second point could be pretty hard to do depending on what your opponent's setup is like if you've got uh like a lady j or whatever that's like all up in your side of the table like it's going to be easy to get that first point and you're not going to be surrounded by enemy models if yeah. you've got like a schemey in the back master and you have to go all the way in there, now you're in the enemy's... You're just surrounded by the enemy. So it's, it could be tricky to get that second point, depending on how their master plays. Fair. And how many henchmen they have, and if they're true. murder henchmen versus support henchmen kind of thing. They're Very true. Oh, yeah. I, I, it does have henchmen on there. I didn't even read that. I thought it was just master. I, I just sort of skimmed over that. Yeah, the I, I think the the opposing crew build is going to affect whether you take this and on what you take it. But things like things with leap or butterfly jump or something, I think are going to be what you bring into this most of the time. Interesting. Regardless, Mm -hmm. I think it's obviously replacing deliver a message and I think it's a much better deliver a message. So I'm happy. Yeah. Also comes to mind. It's another one that you're more likely to get both points if you reveal it later. Which I think seeing at least a couple of those in here uh, versus my philosophy in Gaining Grounds 1 has basically been turn 2, you want to get 3 points because you don't know how fast your opponent's playing and you don't know if you're going to see turn 5. Though, 
I will say that has been getting better as people have getting have been learning their stuff better for sure. I noticed uh, that I think the, the now it's panning out to certain keywords have a lot of upkeep, which is the mm-hmm. thing that's that's draining time. And I'm not yeah. sure how there's a fix to that or if there even is a fix to it. Like now that I'm branching out to Keras, Keras is so much upkeep just because, you know, I move this pyre marker and that model gains burning and injured and that model gains burning and injured and that model gains burning and injured. And now they all have to take a target number X duel or they gain more burning and blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of work sometimes. Yeah. And all of that, other than you remembering what it is, all of that is on your opponent to actually do. Like there is even just like the time to write the stuff down over and over and over again. Yeah. Unless you've got, you know, tokens or whatever. Okay, anyways, yeah. we're getting off topic. Let's get through these schemes because it's late, I'm tired, and I'm sick. Number nine, let them bleed. Real, at the end of the turn, if at least two non-leader enemy models without summon upgrades in play have, or are tied for, the highest cost and are at half or less than their maximum health, gain one VP. Okay, that's a lot of words, but it pretty much means that Take your opponent's models that cost the most. Two two models that cost the most. They can be tied for it, or it can be like one who's ten and one who's nine. I would assume that if there's like a ten and an, and two nines, then you get a pick. Yes, sounds like it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the or are tied for bit. Yep. That's why that's. And you got to knock them down to half health. There you go. There's your point. And they can't be summoned either, even though uh, it's terrifying if the summon model is the most expensive model on the board. But I guess it's also, since you don't designate it at the end of the turn, you could just kill all of their stuff to the point where they have like super cheap things that yeah. are really easy to get down to half. I never thought about that as a strategy. That's cool. But then yeah. the end score is at the end of the game, if there are no more than one enemy model without a summon upgrade in play that has health equal to its maximum health, gain one victory point. I love that. I like that it's no more than one. So, hey, if you want to keep one little minion hiding in a corner, that's not enough. You have to have two models out of the game, essentially, to deny me the second point. I like that. I like it, too. It's cool. It's also... Like, this seems like a relatively good take against elite crews. Because mm-hmm. you're going to have to be bringing down those high mo- high cost models anyways, and there's fewer things that you have to plank for damage. But I guess also healers are much more valuable than the schemes in the pool. Yeah, I also like that as you pointed out, like you can kill the models. You don't have to choose specific ones and keep them alive. So if you've got like their highest cost model, and you're like, if I do this attack, it'll kill them. You don't have to stop. And leave their big scary thing on the board. You can just okay, I'll kill it, and then damage something else. I was gonna do that anyway, <laughs> like Vendetta. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I still find that hilarious that I had to cheat over a red choker one time. Oh, I, did you not hear that? That hurts my heart. Yeah, no, I had Vendetta from a gunsmith onto like a mature nephilim, and he was he had just gotten wrecked by like a bunch of hazardous and stuff, and so I was like. I just have to do any damage to it because he's already at half. And I flip the red joker on a straight flip. And like, <laughs> okay, here's a two. Anyways. <laughs> leave also you more. interesting. Yeah, what? Uh, th- since this is in here with Vendetta returning, you can essentially take Vendetta on their highest cost model. 
get it to half, and get whatever the next thing is to half, score your first point for Vendetta and let them bleed, and then kill the second, or kill the high-cost model, or kill the high-cost model and bring the next two things down to half. Yeah, that yeah, that's, that's definitely like a pair scheme. Like, this next one is also, I think, paired really closely with claim jump but admittedly that's also like eggs in one basket kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah so number 10 leave your mark at the end of the turn if you have a friendly scheme marker within one inch of the center point and the opposing player does not you may remove one such friendly scheme marker to gain one victory point at the end of the game if you have three or more friendly scheme markers within four inches of the center point you may remove three such friendly scheme markers to gain one victory point I'm excited for this as an art science player. Fun. Yes. <laughs> hey, you were looking for reasons for your uh, your union miners. I mean, no, because steam fetters still exist. But I like the Either I like the way. enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this would be like stupid easy to do if it wasn't for that lovely counter. So that that's super great because unlike outflank, you both can't score it at the same time. So there's a gamble yeah. there. It's it's relatively sim- relatively simple as long as you can get the marker down. But if your opponent took it, then you, you're just going to be fighting over that center point. It's great. I'm going mm-hmm. to love this with Euripides. I really am. You just put down an ice pillar and use your uh, your Gigans to say you can't interact within two inches of this thing. Gross. <laughs> Luckily, they're destructible. They are Luckily. destructible. Okay, number 11. This is so weird. I love it. I really like this one. Research mission. At the end of the turn, if you have a friendly model within four inches and line of sight of three or more different types of markers on the enemy table half, including strategy markers, gain one victory point. This is so weird. (laughs) Because this is the first thing that's like ever done like different kinds of markers as a way to score. It's so cool. So, yeah, you don't I need a bunch of ski markers. You need a ski marker and a course marker and a scrap marker or a strategy marker. Or, I mean, terrain, terrain, marker. terrain will work as well. Mm-hmm. So, being able to bring multiple different kinds of markers is cool. And, like, for some, certain crews, this seems like it would actually be uh, kind of easy to do. More or less because ex- outside of ski markers, a lot of markers aren't easily removed. Like, you need to specifically tech and stuff to remove scrap or remove corpses, so they're mm-hmm. a lot more permanent. Yeah, and that four inches, essentially that's an eight-inch bubble mm-hmm. around whatever model you have. That's that's a fairly big range. This, At first glance, like, yeah, there are crews you can bring into this, like uh, Dreamer's Crew, that not many things drop markers when they die, that you can try to deny this as much uh, as you can, yeah. but... Overall, I think this is more this is more easily done than it first appears when you put your mind to it. Yeah, yeah, and like you'll usually be able to read what your if from your opponent's crew whether or not they're going to take this game. But just the idea of like certain models suddenly become like really useful to this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to tat them again, but yay, yay, steam fitter! I can discard to place a scheme and discard to place a scrap, and then. Someone else can kill it for the course marker. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm happy for this one too. Cool, cool. Okay, and end, end of turn. At the end of the game, it, I mean, yeah, end of game. At the end of the game, if you have three or more friendly models, each within two inches and line of sight of a different type of marker on the enemy table half, including strategy markers, 
gain one victory point. So if you're including strategy markers in that equation, then you're not scoring your full strategy. But hey, you're, you're still being able to score the your scheme, so that's cool. But I uh, like it depends how, on the oh. strategy. With a corrupt ley lines, your the strategy markers stay out. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, okay. However, you make an excellent point for uh, symbols and uh, intel. Yeah. So, like you know, consolation prize. Maybe you could only move to the marker, but didn't have the extra AP to interact to pick it up. At least you can get mm-hmm. this. But it's cool that it switches that instead of like one model within three different markers, you gotta have three models within next to three different markers. Which that doesn't seem that terribly easy because you need to make sure you've got those three models in the right spot. And sometimes having three models on your enemy is half of the board is hard at the end of the game. Yeah. True. Okay. Spread them out. At the end of the turn, if you have three or more friendly ski markers on the enemy table half each at least 10 inches away from each other, you may remove three such ski markers to gain one victory point. And then the end of game, at the end of the game, if you have three or more friendly ski markers on the enemy table half each at least two inches, 10 inches away from each other, you may remove three such ski markers to gain one victory point. Hey, that sounds familiar. So, what do you guys think about this? This seems, this is kind of a vanilla sort of scheme to me. It's, I mean, it's simple, but it's not going to be easy to execute. For certain crews. Yes. For certain. Yeah, I mean, some crews, you can just throw out a bunch of ski markers and there's nothing you can do about it. But, like, for the common crew, like, for most people, like, it's not going to be... Once you get that first point, the enemy's going to know what's up. And so, like, it's easy, but it's at the same time, it's very easy. It's relatively easy for your opponent to also deny it. Yep. You know, unless there's a lot of, like, places to hide markers but the good thing is that there's no like line of sight requirement here it has to be 10 full inches so like being able to take someone like geez i'm an archist firestarter firestarter can't even lay down two scheme markers for this scheme in one activation because the place marker move um that's still like seven inches maybe an inch if he does back to front uh still not a far enough distance so it's going to take more effort to get them out and a lot harder to do with a single model on like other schemes. So generally I, I like it. I sort of feel like this might be kind of the replacement for power ritual and needing yeah. three markers down, not having to be in the corners is both easier and harder and in the right ways. Okay. Runic binding. Our last one, number 13. This was already revealed, I believe by weird at the end of the turn. If you have three or more friendly sea markers within 10 inches of each other and have three or more enemy models within the area formed between the markers, you may remove all such more ski markers to use to score this scheme to gain one victory point. End of game. If you have three or more friendly ski markers within five inches of a single enemy model, you may remove three such ski markers to gain one victory point. This is fluffy as hell. I love it. I'm not sure how easy it is to do. I like that the second point is essentially uh, M2E setup, which was always a favorite of mine. Yeah, it's definitely beneficial for models that can dump scheme markers down. Um, this is this is going to be one of those that you've got to remember. You don't have to get the first point to get the second point. Yeah, I just I guess like since they're they have to be within ten inches, not outside of ten, so it's the opposite yeah. of spread them out. But I'm not sure how. Well, you can hide the fact that you're trying to draw a triangle on the map 
and keep it all depends. their mo- and keep all their models within it. Um, it depends. Do you have false claim? Yeah. Yeah, but like like false claim still has to remove a marker. So if you remove either of those false claim markers, the other one goes away. So yeah, but you've set up some markers in the backfield that you can remove because you don't care about them. Uh, sometimes I think this is again going to depend on the the strategy and the scheme. If you think you're going to be in the middle duking it out, and you have some kind of either way of like throwing scheme markers yeah. at range, or don't mind me, couple. Or a couple models that can go around to the other side. This does not have to be an yeah. equilateral triangle. It can be all kinds of isosceles nonsense to do this. I th- yeah. In fact, I, I really appreciate it in that it's no longer a model can score this for you. It's, it's a teamwork thing. So yeah. yeah, you've got false claim, but a false claim model isn't going to score this by themselves. Um, you would need at least two turns to do it. If you want to set it up and score it in the same turn, you're going to need multiple models working together, which is cool. Yeah, I concur. Okay. I mean, I guess technically you do it with a false claim model, but that's going to require some luck and some cooperation and some other stuff. So it's not impossible, but still relatively difficult. And I still think this lends itself well to more teamwork. Okay. Uh, that is eight new schemes four new strategies and a bunch of errata and we've recorded for like two and a half hours though so i'm pretty much dead i'm really excited for all of this please ignore all the complaining i'm just contractually obligated to do so but i'm generally happy with the errata i'm very very excited for uh the new gaining crowns looking forward to a wonderful year of malifaux so thanks for doing this with me guys um any closing thoughts uh, I'm I'm also excited, and this will be fun. And I'm my hot take is I'm betting the next Thunder's Menace is going to be more public now that Yasunori is apparently unplayable. Is <laughs> going to be for the same cost as Yasunori. Uh, bring a samurai with a trained ninja, or double your money and just start shooting into the opponent opposing crew turn one. Okay, I guess we never did go over new boogeyman, but maybe that'll be like a, another episode topic where we can yeah, speculate that alright what about you Eli um, I think I think in general it's all good I don't see anything immediately that's going to make the game just unplayable you know I, th- I think it's good I like I would like to see more buffs for certain factions like guild for example but you know every everything got something everything lost some things and it's all it's all working towards the same goal which is a fun game and I think we've got that yep and we're all about fun here at Steam Powered Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I guess that that's cueing me from my online. Um, have a good night. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening. Support us on Patreon if you got a few dollars to send our way. And uh, join us on Discord and all that other stuff. Oh, also, thank you, Roman, Nate, best buddies, co-hosts co, co, uh, of the show, were very, very kind, and belated birthday gifted me a new microphone to replace the one that died. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Roman. No problem. We're happy we could help uh, and didn't want the show to go on hiatus. And uh, you're, you're pretty awesome, and you oh. know, more people should hear your dulcet tones, Mr. Scoundrels. Yay! And thanks for supporting me on Patreon, Eli. I, again. Alright. I got... I got an emoji out of it, so it was worth it. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. He said, "Hey, Doug, if you do, if you if you do 
a Euripides emoji on the Discord for me, then I'll join the Patreon. And that's what happened, so, okay. I, my, my emojis are purchasable. Thank you, guys. And as I always say, fun is always king. Have a good night. Bye. Good night, everybody. Good night. Songs used in this production are Villainous Treachery and Five Card Shuffle. All music is created by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.